Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Subscribe at iTunes at Toddcast Podcast. Hey, I'm sorry about being late. That's okay. I'm sorry. I I, I was trying to do something, and then and then I might all of a sudden all my Zoom things went, and I had to restart everything. All good. And so now I'm good. Sitting here having a coffee. It's all good. Hey, Todd, how you doing? I haven't hey, seen buddy. you. In, I haven't seen you in like 20 years. <laughs> I know, right? It's been a long time. I, um, I think I had gray hair when I first when I, I knew. I you, think though. you did as well. Yeah, so was, yeah, I mean, yeah. we we go back a few years. I mean, yeah. I, I'm just trying to think like when. When were you doing Mojo Radio? That was like the early two uh, thousands. It was it? two thousand, and literally it was two thousand and three to two thousand and four. It was almost exactly a year. And then one day they brought me in. Uh, they brought me in and said, "On on Monday we're going all sports." And I said, great. Like, uh, do you want me to do more sports stories? And I said, "Oh no, you're fired." <laughs> oh like, no, you're I, done. <laughs> I'd never, for... I'd never been fired. I, I think before that I'd never been hired before. So it was my first radio job. It was my right. first real radio job. I'd, I'd done some temp day, you know, fill in days for people on CBC and things like that, but never, never had my own Paul Byers show, you know? Right. So, and it did start it off as like the, was it like a one, two, three show or whatever? Yeah. And yeah. It was yeah. Like your hours was, were yeah. One to so three. they gave me the hours of one to three. So I said, like, it'd be funny. You'd be like a punk rock guy counting in a song, but forgetting to say four, <laughs> one, two, three. And, and so then I actually made music that said that. And I, I was great. It was like it was like having a podcast, except that it was on an allegedly commercial radio station. Yeah. Have you done much radio like since no. then? No, no. I've been, I've been trying to get back ever since it, it was, uh, you know, but then I did other things. So I being an author and stuff, I stand up ended up, you know, I really yeah, I, I applied to like, you know, I, I auditioned for uh NPR here, like in San Francisco. Okay. And, uh, you know, but that's, you don't just walk in off the street on that one. But I mean, you could, I mean, because it's almost community radio, so you could work your way back in. But, um, and then, uh, yeah, it just, it never worked out. Hmm. It never worked. I mean, it could work out. I mean, the podcast has been a great example, but me doing a podcast feels like I'm back to doing kind of a radio thing. And radio seems to be coming more like my way too. So, yeah. And I, I saw that, uh, who was it you you just posted something on Twitter 15, 20, half hour back? Who's your and you're like a, Miles Copeland? Yes, um, that's yeah, what yeah. It was. No, it's but that's huge. okay. So that's what I'm doing though, because with the Record Store Day podcast, I basically went to them and said, uh, they said to me, Would you like to do a podcast for us? And I said, Well, I've been trying to do a music podcast for a while. And they said they would pay me a small amount of money a week uh, to do it. It's every two weeks. And uh, and then uh, I said, well, can we make it be like the show that I would do me interviewing music people, whether they're artists or people in record companies or people who work at record stores. And I interview people and the the common theme is a a love of um, a love of music, but a love of recorded music. And their only agenda is that they're kind of a merchants association for record stores. So they want to make sure that we're uh, constantly reminding people to buy physical media you know, to right. go to stores, brick and mortar and uh, God love them, you know, and, and that's what Record Store Day does. So, so and yeah. Like and I, Podcast yeah. 51 already. Like it went. Yeah. Dude, yeah. It goes like, by in the blink of an eye when in fact it's about two years, it's almost a couple two years. years now. Yeah. Because we do it every two weeks, you know? 
Right. But yeah, no, it's. And so what I do is I try to get my heroes like I have Andy Partridge of XTC on. I recorded him recently. Like, that's just for me. You know, I mean, there's probably a, a few thousand XTC fans who will love that. But then <laughs> I got uh, Alabama shake, not Alabama. Uh, we wanted to get. Um, uh, I'm blanking on her name. Oh, the well, singer of also, Alabama Shakes? Yeah. Um, oh, Brittany Howard. Yes. Sorry. So for that, for your podcast, for the Record Store Day podcast, like who are who are some of the more memorable people that you've had on? Like maybe for people that have never heard your podcast, like recommend a couple episodes to listen to. Uh, well, I had, I, know, Elvis Costello, to do that, right? I had Elvis Costello on the show, which was a big deal for me because I'm, I'm probably the world's second biggest Elvis Costello fan only because I'm Canadian and I don't think I can claim first without seeming arrogant. So, but I'm definitely a huge, uh, Neil Finn was on my show, which was oh, nice. cool for me. Crowded house. About, yeah. Crowded house and split ends and stuff like that. I'm actually going through the list of Daniel Lenoir. We did a whole hour. Oh, nice. with Daniel Lenoir. That was kind of neat. Wow. Uh, you know, um, of course he had a huge career, his own self, but he was also a massive Canadian producer. Well, yeah. I mean, we talked, I mean, that's the thing. What I like to do is I'm starting to do more is just do what I want to do, what I want to hear. And because I'm the producer, I, I mean, I, I have people helping me find the guests and negotiate and all that stuff, negotiate the times and stuff. But yeah. generally, I mean, I pick the music that goes on. I, you know, little clips here and there. We don't use whole songs because it's not good for the copyright and all that. But, yeah. uh, but uh, so the Dan Lenoir was a good example of where I wanted to ask him about his work with Brian Eno because he worked on a lot of those ambient things. I liked, I obviously wanted to ask him about Peter Gabriel. And we talked specifically about Red Rain from the So album. Yeah. And uh, we talked a little bit about U2 because you have to talk about U2 if you're talking to Dan. But I also talked about Acadie, his first solo album and stuff that I really like. I thought, hey, Daniel Len was here. Let's ask him about all the things you want to ask him about. So, so I make a list, you know, so I don't forget stuff. And then he has an agenda. He's selling a record called Heavy Sun at the time. So I made sure I listened to that and knew what to ask him about that. Yep. And he was so good. And I like it. I think the guests sometimes know, I mean, they sometimes know if you have at least done some research and they feel relaxed. So they go, okay, we're not just going to be talking about, Hey, your name's Lan Wah. It's a French name, isn't it? Like, like it has to be something really about that. They want to talk about right. and some people might not want to talk about you too. So you have to have two or three other things to talk about. And you know, because you do this, like, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. no, you've got to find that you know there, especially if you don't know the person. Uh, it's easy when you know somebody like you and I. I mean, sure, we haven't talked for 15, 20 years, but I, you know, I'm I'm not feeling weird about it, and I didn't do a whole lot of research to be completely honest, only because I know what I want to ask you. I know what I, you know, I know what I want to get out of this interview. But if I didn't know you, I would be probably trying to find a, somebody in your inner circle that I knew. To find yeah. a way to make you feel comfortable right out of the gate. No, well, yeah, exactly, and that's yeah, and that's what you do. It also it helps if they're talking about a specific uh, piece of music or something that you have listened to that piece of music and have yeah, exactly. Because like, uh, you haven't I, even I, heard my new album. What? <laughs> like I have weak spots of my own listening where I on you know in terms of my day to day I might not know all the works of Lil Nas X, but right. if I. I'm preparing to try and get him on my show because I think he's one of the most fascinating characters in popular music. So I'm becoming deep, I mean, deeply immersing myself in Little Nas X music this week. And, and that's just so I could be a more responsible interviewer, you know? 
Right. And, and it's, 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 and that also helps me because now my frames of reference are, you know, not my old stodgy, uh, crowded house, Elvis Costello stuff. And, <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, that's cool. And, uh, and other times I'll have authors on who have written books like Miles Copeland, but I had, right. uh, uh, Tom DeSavia wrote this book with John Doe about the story of X and Los Angeles punk. And and it was such a great histo- history lesson that it was OK to talk to an author rather than a musician because he was such a good he had all the answers. So if I could say, so what happened with that label? And he would he'd know, you know, and and so you just sometimes do it that way, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, and I also try really hard to make it not just uh, what we are right now, two dudes, two dudes sitting around talking because, I mean, it's good. I mean, if the dudes are work- earning their keep, like I hope we are, but, but, you know, we all, I look at my list and I go, okay, white do, white do, white do. And so like, I'm, I'm consciously thinking, you know, let's, let's break it up and have some emerging woman artists and, or have like uh, classic woman artists. Like I've had Jane Wheedland of the Go-Go's and I had Susanna Hoffs of the Bangles. And and those or Tanya Donnelly or, uh, you know, uh, Juliana Hatfield. And that's a way of saying, you know, you're not just going to hear like the the uh, usual guys from England in the 1970s on this show. You know, and Questlove was on twice talking oh, about cool. Summer of Soul. And and again, you don't want to get into the thing where you're seeing them only as what they're not. But you want to just make sure your playlist isn't so, you know, it's I'm trying to break into areas where I'm not always the only guy, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's some, yeah, some, I mean, it, there's something about diversity, right? Yeah. And it's a real thing. And I just want I just don't want to come off as obsequious here. But I, I, I what I mean is I'm just conscious of making an effort to make it more because it's fun. It's actually fun to hear the stories of the Go-Go's telling me, uh, you know, Jane telling me how they had doors closed in their face and were told what to wear. And then they said, you know, screw that. Right. You know, And then Miles confirmed it. Miles Copeland, who was on the other end of that, said, yeah, we. We, uh, you know, he said that we, he didn't take, he didn't take the heat for it, but he said that, you know, people were telling us that we shouldn't sign the Go-Go's or that, you know, they made a big deal about them being all women. And so anyway, by having those guests on the show, you have a chance to let everyone speak for themselves because there's nothing worse than a guy explaining somebody else, you know? Right. Totally. No, it's great getting both sides. So obviously with, you know, you have a podcast, the Record Store Day podcast. So their music in the in the Myers Myers house must have been huge uh, as a kid. What what are you hearing in the house as a kid? Oh, okay. So what first thing is, you know, my older brother Peter Myers is was like that classic. The analogy I always make is in Cameron Crowe's movie Almost Famous. He had uh, uh, the, the 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 young man character had an older sister, uh, oh. and she had all the records. Well, Peter's my older brother, and Peter would bring home. Uh, first, you know, when we were young kids, listen, my age is, you know, in the seventies, I was listening to Led Zeppelin. I had grown up with the Beatles music because my parents are from Liverpool. So we had Beatles records in the house and wings and all the, all the solo albums, John, George, Ringo. And then, but then, um, uh, Led Zeppelin and, uh, not so much Sabbath, which is interesting, you know, like, uh, I, I don't know if that was a thing, but I was oriented towards the bluesy rock less than the sort of you know, evil rock. Yeah. Uh, I now have, I have a huge, I have a huge appreciation for Sabbath now, but there was a time when it was like, no, no, give me, give me Jimmy page over Tony Iommi. You know, it was like, sure. I, I don't know why that was anyway, but as the, and then I went into Prague, I started like, cause I grew up in the same neighborhood as rush. Um, so, so I, I remember, you know, all my first bands learned how to play like my very first band in the basement 
learned how to play uh, Rush songs, Kiss songs, uh, BTO, because, you know, uh, they were easy to play, but they're a lot of fun. So, you know, and I was very aware of CanCon even then. And uh, uh, what else? So but then Rush led me to Prague because Getty was on some interview on Chum FM in Toronto. And he said something about we've been listening to Genesis and Yes. And I was like, oh, let me hear that. And I actually to this day maintain that Yes and Genesis like, you know, Prague has this reputation of being overblown and too much fancy stuff. Those are visceral bands. Both of those bands play in the moment, especially Yes. Yes was a real like a very almost a jazz group with rock inflections like they they're you know chris squire is probably one of my favorite bass players of all time yeah i mean if, if 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 people that are listening to this podcast don't know who yes is just put on roundabout yeah and, and anything for that album you know that yeah, and that. like and welcome to their world because it's freaking amazing yeah i mean and you'll hear it nowadays it's <laughs> after the punk wars it's safe now to mention yes again and i remember like matthew sweet was on my show and he was talking about how, how much yes was the first band that made him want to be in a rock band you know but anyway so then that led to the new wave uh, punk and new wave so my brother peter started bringing home the ramones peter brought home the ramones and it was like i heard it coming out of his room i mean and i just knew it was good and then my brother mike went and visited england and he came back, he was in a soccer tournament, and he came back with a 45 of God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. And it <laughs> sounded amazing. I mean, it's a pretty produced record when you listen to it. There's like eight guitars on it, but um, it sounded really raw and immediate. And we were really excited again. And all of a sudden, I remember I had the Super Tramp album, Breakfast in America, and the Sex Pistols single. And I was like holding them both up, thinking, which way do I go? And I ended up going punk rock for a while. And Talking Heads came home, like New Wave stuff, like Talking Heads, Elvis Costello, my brother, again, bringing those home. Right. Uh, and then so then so then you're getting into the British stuff like XTC and and, uh, you know, uh, Susie and the Banshees and stuff. So then I started playing in a band called the Space Invaders that played at this uh, new wave and punk club in Toronto called The Edge. So anyway, that's there's my musical bio up to about age 20. You know? Interesting. And, and what was your first concert you went to? First concert I ever went to. This is really dating myself. Uh, it was a, a place called the Ontario Place Forum which was uh, Ontario place was kind of a, I don't know it's more like a public park than a theme park because they didn't have rides or anything. They had some slides and stuff, but it was mostly just about a, a park with pavilions and buildings and, and restaurants, right. but they had a, a band place, like a, a, an amphitheater covered amphitheater it was outdoor, but it was covered. And uh, I saw the Stampeders who were from uh, Calgary. Sweet. I believe. Yeah. And my, I got my mom to take me because that's, that's what it was because it was a public park kind of concert and it was, um, I think it was free, you know, like the park was free or something. And and the uh, on the same bill was the Poppy family, which is t- Terry and Susan Jacks from all oh, the so- seasons and seasons in the sun. Yeah, but it was pre seasons in the suns when they with seasons in the sun when they had um, where evil grows, which is a, if you look up the Poppy families where evil grows, it is a great psych rock pop tune. It's 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 as psychedelic as. I don't know. It kind of reminds me of the Kenny Rogers uh, pre-country Kenny Rogers song. Uh, just checked in to see what condition my condition was in. OK, like, yeah, it's yeah, that yeah. kind of what I used to call hoodie. Like, it was whoa, yeah. scary, scary, evil rock, like uh, witchy woman by the Eagles or something. And uh, slightly menacing, but slightly not, you know, but the, I loved both of those things. But what I mostly loved was seeing people with guitars playing and singing. And, you know, you saw a drum kit, you saw the microphone stands and and lights changing. And I was, you know, of course, what are you going to like? It's amazing. So the first, uh, but the first sort of rock concert, like, like that I sort of went to on my own as a teenager, I think was Aerosmith. 
Wow. Um, or it might have been Rush. It, it was probably Rush at Maple Leaf Gardens and yeah. then Aerosmith at Maple Leaf Gardens. And I uh, it was also the first and only time I drank Southern Comfort. I was underage <laughs> and I threw up. Uh, actually, I think it was my brother, Peter, that threw up. I almost threw up, but the, we, he was throwing up in the bathroom at Maple Leaf Gardens. And I, I remember it was just it was insane. Uh, but uh, but seeing Aerosmith, it was also not the draw the line tour. So it was like they were just about to crash. Yeah. To crash, so, yeah. But I mean, it still had a great bass riff on Draw the Line. And I think Joe Perry was playing like a six string bass. And I could, and even then I knew what that was. Like it was kind of, I was that kid. You're like, oh my God, he's playing the double deck, you know? And, you know, when, when the Getty Lee got a double neck guitar on in Rush, I was like, oh my God. And one was a guitar and one was a bass. Like it was because he had yeah. that Mike Rutherford Genesis thing. Anyway, I Tangent City. If, if Oof, you ever talk, no, yeah, bring it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could talk. I, I could talk music, dude, for literally hours and just listen to stories, man. Anyway, so that's and where. Like, yeah, so that know, was Aerosmith and concert. Rush. As far as first concerts that you're going to on your own, like yeah. you're setting the bar at that point. That's true. Uh, I, it was good, and, and Massey Hall was a great thing in Toronto, which is still I, it's been renovated. But I saw so many great shows at Massey Hall. Um, what's, what's that like for equivalent uh, in Vancouver? Like a uh, uh, Vogue Theater or the Vogue. Orpheum? Wow. Uh, yeah, I think the Orpheum. I mean, I saw great shows there, too, when I lived in Vancouver. I lived in Vancouver, in case I'm assuming most people don't know, from 2001 to 2006. Okay. Uh, exactly five years, because we got there on July. We got there on July 3rd, right after Canada Day. And then we left on July 1st, 2006. Mm. We left on Canada Day again, which is funny, to move back to the United States. Yeah. And then we were here for their their big holiday, July 4th. So, yeah. And you've been so, you've been there for since then, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. here's the, the the nutshell version of my life. Uh, 2000 and, 1997, my wife got an offer to work at a publisher in the in the Bay Area. So we moved from Toronto, having never lived anywhere else but Toronto. So we moved to uh, downtown San Francisco. Uh, wow. Eventually, both of us didn't like the work situations that we had. And there was no way to, to go lateral because we had visas that were specific to those jobs. So we just decided to go on a trip uh, around Southeast Asia for six months, put everything in storage. And, uh, and then we decided that we would land in Vancouver and we'd never lived in the West Coast before. We like and, and, and like so many Torontonians, like evil Torontonians, we had no idea what Vancouver was like. We actually heard about, I mean, I, I'd seen it on TV. I played there once with the gravel berries. I played there actually twice with the gravel berries, but it was in and out. You know what I mean? I would play the, the uh, we played the town pump. And then wow. another time we played the uh, railway club, you know, um, okay. that's the, that's the level I rose to in that city. But both great venues though. Oh yeah. I mean, it was so great. I think we were on a handsome, not handsome, uh, Ned. No, oh, is it? Oh, I can't remember now. Is it, there's a name of a, an artist. I'm trying to remember who was on the bill with me, but uh, anyway, but I remember the odds came out. Who are friends okay. of mine, and yep. actually the odds are still my friends, and so I yeah, knew same. that a much. So that was my, my one of my big hooks in Vancouver was, hey, I'll be near Craig Northy and the guys, you know. So that's cool. Yeah. So so that anyway, so we did that, and then we, uh, my wife again got another. I was doing okay. I think I had a couple. Of, I was on radio here in Vancouver. I was on you know um, Mojo and was talk radio for guys. And I tried to make it into the kind of guy like me rather than the kind of guy I think they were aiming at. Right. And uh, like, I remember having uh, a segment where we talked about Rufus Wainwright and I thought, I wonder if they're going to get all homophobic out there in radio land. But, uh, but nobody did. I mean, I mean, when I lost that job, it was only because the format changed overnight. 
right. they, de- they decided to go after sports radio and that's fine. Um, and I was out. So, but, uh, but I was going to say about Vancouver. So it was great, but then Lisa got another job offer in 2006. So we moved back to the Bay area and then moved to the East Bay this time. So now I'm in like the Berkeley area, which is, and we've been here ever since. And it's a great city. I've been there a few times and San Francisco is awesome. It really is. You know, and if you've lived in Vancouver, it's um, I also the phrase I used to use was Westified to be, you know, to become westernized or Westified. But like the to understand the Pacific Ocean, it, like for a Toronto boy, you know, when you grow up on flat, boring old Lake Ontario and, and there's no mountains, you know, and then so to come to come to the Pacific Coast with mountains and sea and, and birds and bears. And, you know, I don't see many bears in this area, but you can find them if you go up you know, further into the wild. And there's so a lot of great nature here. And that, I guess nature becomes more important when you're in the West Coast. In Toronto, I don't think I cared that much if I got to go away to the mountains. Well, because it, you just yeah. didn't see them. Yeah, there's no, there's no lure. You could like, whereas in Vancouver, you literally have well, you could mountain, see. Yeah, like Grouse you Mountain could... staring down at you. And the, you know, <laughs> well, the, I, got, the I could lions. walk to that mountain if I needed to. I could walk there. Are you in West Vancouver? I'm in uh, East Van. So I'm, oh, yeah, I yeah, yeah, oh, you're close. Yeah, you know, I look out my front door and I see the North Shore Mountains. Right. So. I love that. You know, um, the late John Mann, rest his soul. Uh, I, I saw him on the street uh, uh, years ago, obviously. And uh, we looked up at them. I looked up at the mountains and I said, do you ever get sick of that view? Like, because like, I, I, I didn't. Right. And he said, he goes, no, I've lived here all my life. He said, I've lived here all my life. And I look at the snowy caps of like grouse and and I just uh, and like, you know, so, but I don't know why I just suddenly went on a tangent thinking about John Mann. But, you know, yeah, John from such Spirit a great of the West, man. John Mann, one of the greatest, just a great uh, singer, songwriter and actor and robbed of life by uh, Alzheimer's disease and passed away uh, about a year ago or so. Yeah, um, yeah they, and, had, uh, they had a, a, a tribute show at the Commodore Ballroom for him. After after he passed, right after. Yeah. You know, I was at the last Spirit of the West shows. I happened to be in Vancouver. Uh, I think they became the last shows. Uh, they had like a big night with Blue Rodeo guys showing up and Stephen mm. Page was there and the odds. The odds played on the bill with Spirit of the West. Oh, cool. and, uh, and it was John. John was still able to perform. He had like an iPad with the lyrics, but, you know, muscle memory kicked in and he knew all the words, even though he he was yeah. foggy about people's names, uh, you know, and, and Jeff Kelly was helping. Anyway, I, I've gone into another tangent there, but no, not God, at all. God bless John, man. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about music is that even people with like uh, dementia and like, they can't remember their kids' names or, you know, can't remember where they grew up or, you know, just shit like that. But yet they can sing all of the words to, you know, their favorite Elvis song or, you know, there's something about music that really like it hits, it hits different. It hits different is the absolute. Yeah. uh, yeah, That's the phrase. My dad had Alzheimer's and we, I can tell you that, you know, he, you know, on his last, days he would still remember all the lyrics to uh songs he heard in the war in england right like he was an older man so he'd he'd been in england during the 40s and so Mm -hmm. he knew all these songs from the radio so yeah no it doesn't go thank god eh i mean that's i know that's that's the thing about music we we're all so interested in music i know you are yeah and 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 that is always happen it's going to take you it's going to and you know you don't need a portable music device to have a music memory. You know, you don't need to have any gear. You could be out in the middle of those mountains that we were speaking of. And you can suddenly, if you've deeply listened to something, you'll, 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 you'll hear all the guitars and all the vocals and all the lyrics that you've held special to yourself. And that's, 
I mean, that's why I, it's this is hard to not get philosophical, but that's why we all talk about music all the time is because it hits. It really hits, you know. Totally. I, I, I don't want to ask these questions, but I'm going to anyway. I don't want to put you on the spot. Most overrated band on the planet. Oh, wow. I, I, yeah, it's easy to piss people off with these answers. Uh, uh, they're generally bands that people love too, right? Like for me personally, REM and U2 oh, are two of the most overrated bands on the planet. You know, I, yeah, I, I could piss a lot of people off. Um, I think, okay, here's one, one thing. I think that both John Mellencamp mm. and Billy Joel are overrated as great songwriters. I think they're great as performers. But when people speak of, uh, so conversation will often go like this. Bruce Springsteen, great American songwriter, just like John Mellencamp. I'm like, what? You know, like, you know, Pink Houses, like, what? You know, like, get, you know, or even like Rain on the Scarecrow, which is good. I mean, but I like, I prefer Jason Isbell to, uh, to, uh, you know, and I love Jason Isbell. So that's, that's not a, that's not a shock. But, um, and the other, yeah, and the thing about Billy Joel is, Billy Joel is a great song stylist and has written songs that I think are really great. But when you like he did that tour with Elton John and everyone was like two of the greatest songwriters. I'm like, no, it's Elton John and a really good songwriter with him. Um, Elton John's one of the greatest songwriters. And I, sure. you know, uh, um, anyway, so that's how I that's the how I play the overrated game. Uh, I actually think. I actually think. Uh, um, what's this band? So. I talked about yes and Genesis and then somebody will mention uh, Emerson Lake and Palmer, who I quite liked as a kid, but they're not as good as those other bands to me, to me, you know, taste being taste. I mean, Same. bring it, bring it ELP fans, you know, right. and, and God bless, you know, um, Keith Emerson and Greg Lake are no longer with us. I think is Carl Palmer here. I don't, he's not here anyway. Thank God. <laughs> not here he'd, hit me, he'd hit me with his <laughs> gong. Um, and then in terms of like, you know, there's this band called um, Misfits that uh, oh, that I, those guys. I, I didn't really it didn't speak to me that that wave of punk didn't speak to me. And I get in a lot of trouble for that. You know, yeah. um, um, it's so it's, you know, I, and like Danzig and all that stuff. Uh, people talk about it, but I think it might even be an age thing. I might have been just a few years too old to uh, to get on that train. Yeah, anyway, I, I don't like dissing anyone, uh to be honest. Well, how about how about the the flip side? Let's prop up some bands maybe that are underrated. Uh, Japan, Japan mm. are a band from the uh, '80s uh, that sounded a little like Roxy Music, uh, but they had like a Georgia Marauder influence. And David Sylvian comes from that band. Mick Karn. I feel like aficionados know Japan, you know, and uh, like like it like Roxy Music in the in the Brian Ferry vocals or just yeah Brian Ferry vocals and sort of a stylish. Uh, style like if you listen to a song like Life in Tokyo by Japan, you could imagine mm -hmm. Brian Ferry singing it. You could imagine okay. Andy McKay playing saxophone on that. It's it, you know, I think uh, I think Phil Manzanera is an underrated guitarist. The, I think he's one of the most influential guitar players on me, but I don't think anyone would believe me if I said that. You know, uh, another band that is underrated is Sparks, and I know they're getting their moment in the sun thanks to Edgar Wright's documentary, but. For many years, I would say no, no, no. But Sparks are as, as influential as all of those guys. You know, um, who else is underrated? It's who else am I? Easier to talk about underrated than overrated. <laughs> yeah, definitely for me. Uh, I, I well, I mean, here's one. 
I don't know how people rate Todd Rundgren, but I wrote a whole book about Todd Rundgren, the producer and, right. and, and a musician. And I wrote this book called A Wizard of True Star, Todd Rundgren in the Studio, which was a whole the whole point of that book was to say at that point, he wasn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And this was like 10 years ago. I wrote that book and I went around and I talked to all the artists he worked with. And I talked to people who bought who worked on his records, his solo records, as well as the artists he produced. And I made this book that basically says the case for Todd Rundgren. Like, if you read this book, you'll see why I talk about Todd Rundgren as much as I do. Uh, a few people I know are, were big fans also, like uh, Mo Berg from The Pursuit of Happiness, mm. you know. Um, so so I think, I think you know, that that kind counts as an underrated thing. I think if people don't realize Todd Rundgren is more than Hello, It's Me, or right. uh, he did a bang on the drum all day, you know, like, like, so sometimes people know one or two songs by somebody. I think XTC are underrated, the band from England. Yeah. And uh, making plans uh, for Nigel. Yeah. They think it's just making plans for Nigel. Right. And there's it's more there's, than that. Oh, there. I mean, you talked again, you talk to aficionados who know this stuff and they're like, well, how could you underrate this band? They did this. They did this. They, so that's there's that thing, too. Right. You have this, too, where you meet a bunch of people from different levels of of uh, either levels of interest in music or, or, you know, music isn't as important to their day to day life. Or they're not as interested in popular music. They might be huge jazz fans. So there's uh, the rating thing is very. It's hard to. Uh, it's hard to think there's any absolute opinion. I think. Mm-hmm. What What is an average day for you, Paul? Like you're, um, you're mentioning the the <laughs> run grin, right? You also wrote yeah. the the kids in the hall, one dumb guy. Yeah. Um. Like what's what's an average well, day for you? Uh. Well, like lately, lately, an average day is uh. I have three projects on the go and depending on which one needs my attention, I will try to make a, uh, I don't know if you can see this, but this is a list of things I have to do today. <laughs> yes. uh, and I, uh, my wife is a professional organizer. And so, uh, so she's really good at uh, teaching these systems because my brain is, actually, you've even heard this in this conversation. My brain is such that it will go 18 different directions uh, if I don't have a, a, a what I call a roadmap, I'm the same uh, thing. Yeah. So yeah. so but, so for instance, um, I am working on a book about John Candy that won't be out for at least a year. Cool. Um, and uh, so I'm I have a uh, I'm still doing interviews for it, and I interviewed Catherine O'Hara and uh, Joe Flaherty, and I'm trying to get Eugene Levy, and that they're putting the dates. Or he got popular this year, so it's really hard to corral him. But um, I have different interviews in the can already for different people for that. Uh, I, I'm also working on a documentary uh, as an executive producer. Uh, it's based on my uh, one of my books. And I probably, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it yet, but I, I'm working on a documentary that's supposed to be out next year with uh, Amazon. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time I've been an executive producer on anything. And I, I had something to do with blocking out the story as well. And then I'm also doing the podcast uh, every two weeks. Right. So that means booking people because I pretty much do all the booking and recording of the interviews uh, uh, from here, from this little home. They set me up with a couple of nice things, including this SM7B microphone that I'm speaking into. It's, it's quite nice. Oh, uh, yeah. And I, I got them to get me a, a, yeah. a, a boom microphone oh. because I found myself. I used to have the mic over on the side and I'd be off. The, I'd be like, oh, out, <laughs> you know, it's so during the whole COVID. I mean, the thing is, pre-COVID, I was still doing this zoomy zoomy interview stuff because i live in a place that's not la and not new york and not toronto and not vancouver right so um so i basically i'm remote recording has been the uh godsend for this whole thing so then there's one other thing that i do which is uh uh oh uh, actually in this summer i can tell you this so my brother mike is mike myers we've 
no sense dancing around that. Mike has a TV uh, series for Netflix that he's doing uh, and it's coming out next year on Netflix. And I worked on that as a, as a double. No way. Uh, yeah. Uh, because <laughs> people are all saying, Oh, you guys look too much alike. Well, what Mike, when Mike's doing a thing where he's playing different prosthetic character uh, characters with prosthetic makeup on, yeah. I can, I can really make it look like him. And so Mike convinced the uh, people who pay, pay money for things to fly me to England, you know, with all COVID testing and, and yeah. everything's hundred percent safe or, or as, as safe as it can be. And so I just did three months working on this series where if Mike is doing a scene where he's acting to himself, they'll shoot his close-ups on all the characters, but in long shots and things where he's handing a, a phone to somebody, uh, it'll be me. Uh, and you, the idea is that you won't know it's me. The, the idea is that you'll just think that it's a, an expensive computer effect when in fact, a lot of times it's not even, it's just me. Uh, and the makeup director is the guy who works on Saturday, Saturday Night Live who just won another Emmy, a guy named Louis Zakarian. And he just did an amazing job of making me look like him 100%. And the costumes are all the same. So it's so that was a unique experience, which I still haven't processed, to be honest. It was three months living in London in an apartment. Uh, and just for me to be able to be based in London, England, after this crazy lockdown year, uh, and, and you know, and have you know, having a free apartment and free uh, groceries, and just it was like it, it was kind of the dream to live. Like I'm a huge Anglophile, so just being in London every day for three months straight was amazing. You know, yeah. and of course working with your brother and stuff like that must have been that must have been cool watching him on Saturday Night Live like over those years, right? Oh uh, well, you know, here's the thing. You know, when you're young and, you know, I went through a period where I think I had my ego as trying to make it as a rock star or a musician or whatever. And, you know, people go, oh, he's your brother. He's, you know, and they want to talk about your brother all the time. And he was on Saturday Night Live during the Wayne's World Mania that came after that. And Austin Powers, it was so um, hard for me to bridge the difference between feeling super proud of him. And also being like, I wouldn't even say competitive because that's pathetic. You know, you, he's so ahead in his thing that you don't want to play that game. I mean, but, he's one of the biggest stars on the planet, for Christ's sakes. But, like, here's, but here's what I've come to is I feel confident as I got older that, you know, I do love my brother. And but more often what happens is I feel secure enough that I can also say, oh, my God, he really is. Uh, you know, people might disagree, but Mike, I think, is a genius, but he's also a hardworking genius who who knows how to make. He doesn't do a lot of movies. And but when he when he really has a chance to write and create something and produce it, he is like a dog with a bone. Like he will not let go of this thing until it, it comes out close to what he wants. Right. And and um, and I watched him work for three months straight and I came away with a even deeper appreciation of that. But I just want to say one more thing about that. Mm. Also to spend three months as a grown man with your brother and my brother, Peter couldn't be there because he wasn't working on the show, but, but to, to, at least one of my brothers to be there after all the things we've gone through in our lives and stuff like that. And he's got kids and I've got a family here. And we, we spent that time working in each other in each other's like shadow. And I really respected him and felt really proud of him, but it felt great that we got to just talk. And on the weekends, we sometimes would go out and have go, go have dinner and walk around and, and just talk about music and talk about life. And yeah, just and hang and be brothers. You get to do that while you're sort of technically on the paycheck, which is like, that's a treat, man. Like, and that's a gift. I mean, at this yeah. age to be able to, do, to spend three months out of my life 
sort of not reliving my childhood, but almost um, sort of having a, a, you know, a check-in call with your childhood and see how we're all doing as adults. It was like the best. And of course I got to meet all these actors as well that Mike was working with, like Jennifer Saunders is in this thing and Keegan, Michael Key and Ken Jeong. And, and, you know, it's just amazing cast of, of, actors or comedians do I, I really re- admire and I got to be sort of in scenes with them while I'm going, Mike, I can't believe you got Jennifer Saunders in this. Like, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's so anyway, so that's the, uh, that's the upshot of that. Todd, right. forgive me for rambling. One last, one last thing on Mike and then we'll move on. What's his best work? Like who's, who's, which character is your favorite? I think uh, that's, I, I can't do that. I mean, Wayne has such a special allure because Wayne, there's a lot of me in Wayne. Like, I don't think I'm not taking credit for it, but, you know, going to the guitar store as a kid uh, and hanging out and, you know, and uh, I, you know, wanted to put a sign up that says no stairway to heaven, but Wayne is close to me because I grew up in the suburbs, but uh, I mean, Dr. Evil is such a tasty character and, you know, Austin Powers is such an amazing original idea. Um so, I mean, if you're going to go there, that's, you know, an interesting episode of the Record Store Day podcast you might want to check out is uh, I did an episode with Mike, uh, which we, we never do. We never do stuff to go. We once in a while we'll do stuff together. But we did an episode where Mike came on to promote the soundtrack to Austin Powers that was coming out for Record Store Day. So okay. I had him on. But it ends up being a discussion of all the things we all the records we bought as kids. A lot of people like that episode. Look it up when you're looking up the Record Store Day podcast with Paul Myers. And on that same episode, Judd Apatow talks to me about his love of Warren Zevon. So it's wow. it's a kind of a comedy episode. Okay. Uh, we, and we've had comedians. We've had Fred Armisen on twice. We've had uh, uh, Dave Foley of Kids in the Hall has been on. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and I, I am always welcome to bring comedians in to talk about music, because, as you may know, all comedians love music and all musicians love comedy. So it's just, exactly uh, exactly. So so back to the, the kids in the hall in your book and stuff. Uh, are kids in the hall superior to SCTV? No, <laughs> they'll tell you that too. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. The kids in the hall, the way it works is a continuum, right? Obviously there's for me, sketch comedy, you know, gets really good with Monty Python, Monty Python spawns like SNL. And while SNL is happening, the uh, second city producers decide, hey, we should have our own show, too. And they create something that's wholly original again. So SCTV changed the world. And also for Canadian kids like me, oh, my God, they came from my backyard, you know, uh, right. and to, see, to see Canadian comedians uh, making something that's competitive or at least on the same page as Python and SNL. Uh, and then the kids in the hall being of my generation, they they. They heard all that stuff and they said, let's make our own thing that's as original to us as Python and SCTV was. And so they created something that was in its wake. So to me, SCTV will always be the fathers of it. So it's hard to say they're better than the Kids in the Hall. But I will say this, Kids in the Hall holds up. Uh, There is so much I've been because I've been doing this. You know, I've been researching them for years now, uh, not just as a fan. I was there for a lot of it. Like I was in the room during the tapings and I was oh, on cool. set. For, I was on set for Brain Candy. Again, they're your peers and your friends. So you don't step back. And then what I'm at that paid part of my life where I'm stepping back and I'm going, oh, my God, these people that are familiar to me, that are friends of mine who I can call any time are also geniuses. And uh, I I can't believe I'm not starstruck talking to them because they're they're you know my brother and the kids in the hall they're like icons of comedy and yet 
uh, it's hard to rem- be reminded of that when you're when they're kind of your friends. But but uh, stepping back and researching Kids in the Hall made me realize, oh, my God, they really did. And they're making this new series for Amazon now that will be out, I believe, yeah. in January. I think January is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Well, and I heard there was going to be like seven or eight. Um, Six ep- uh, yeah, I think it's my uh, I think it's. I don't know how many episodes. I thought it was eight, maybe. Yeah. But I, I know it's season six. They're calling it season six rather than a whole new show. Wow. <laughs> season. So they're bringing back the seasons. How many years later? That's great. Yeah, yeah. Because they stopped after season five and made uh, brain candy, and then that didn't turn out so well for them at the time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. So and they're all in great spirits, and that that troop, they've had their fights. They were like. They, you know, it, it's amazing to think they're like, you know, the Eagles or something like they the hell freezes over. And but over the years, they got to realize again how much they meant to each other. And as Dave Foley says, there's four of the worst people in the world that I absolutely love, you know, so so he, they have this love hate relationship with each other and yeah. it comes across and they love to make kids in the hall uh, comedy together. I yeah, said music. I almost said music facts as a fan. I can't wait for the for the new stuff. What are you? Um... What are you binging right now? What are you binge watching? Uh, yeah, I went back to Mad Men. Uh, I, I'm also watching Only Murders in the Building, which I like. Yes, uh, it's hard good. to binge it because it's on every second week. Uh, um, I've been watching Ted Lasso. Yeah. Uh, but I also been, like I said, I've been going back to Mad Men and realizing that I loved it when it was on, but now I'm watching it with a whole different. It's a really amazing story and really well shot. And it's so, it's so sad. Like it's, Mad Men is one of the saddest shows ever. Like it's just about the decay of this weird macho jungle that they created and how, you know, they're just like drinking themselves to death. And it's, anyway, so it's, it's really fun to watch because it's a really great, it's a really deep show, but it yeah, really Ted, Ted, La- awesome. Ted Lasso's fun. Um, Ted Lasso for me, I think I, I think I don't think of it as a comedy almost because most of the time I'm just going, Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but I mean, but Jason Sudeikis, Sudeikis is this awesome. character. Yeah, he created so this character good. that's original. And that's that's they'll be talking about that as a Ted Lasso type character. Now, there'll right. be other shows that come on the go. He's kind of a Ted Lasso because he's created Ted Lasso. Right. You know, so that's cool. Yeah. Are you into those uh, like the superhero movies, Justice League, X-Men, <laughs> Avengers and all that kind of shit? Like, what did you think when Scorsese, Martin Scorsese said that those styles of films aren't cinema? I think. You know, I, I'm not a, I, I, I appreciate superhero movies, but I don't really care. I, I don't really care. I, I will say that I appreciate Scorsese and I'd love to know the full context of his comment uh, because yeah. I, I, I think that what guys like him are trying to do is say, you know, is say that maybe he, he makes a different kind of movie and he grew up in a tradition of different kinds of movies. And it's not cool to diss uh, contemporary, you know, movie franchises, and you'll get two other film critics who might go, you know, it's the most amazing thing ever to have superhero movies. Uh, and so it's not about. So he's just one guy. Scorsese is a, but he's a big a, a guy. master. He's a master. I mean, yeah. and you know, sometimes people, what's the term for it? I, I, they used to call it pimping you, like sort of when you p- poke someone to make them say something. So sometimes people go, you, you must hate Marvel. You must hate Marvel. You must hate DC. And, they, and he'd be like, no, 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 no. But surely you must hate that they get all this money. And he'll be like, oh, you know, and then, and then eventually he said, well, no, I don't think they're film. Like they're not film like I'm film. And like, OK, we got right. a quote. We got a quote. That's the quote. Run with that. That's Marty, the headline. Marty hates Ant-Man. You know, right. like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Anyway, but so I don't know how that shit works. I just know that they they I know that people have opinions and 
look at me uh, earlier and trying to answer the who's overrated question. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, I'm I'm already expecting misfits mail, you know, like so. You know, it's coming. So, yeah. Yeah. Danzig has your name. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Uh, all right, Paul, I'm going to uh, respect your time here. Wrap it up in a couple questions. OK, well, absolutely. So I'm Star sorry Wars I was late. Star Trek. Star Wars or Star Trek. OK, Star Trek for me. Star Trek. Interesting. I know. I know. Look at me. I'm I'm really I'm a horrible person. And, and what do you like for Star Trek? Is it the the original? Is it uh, Captain Kirk and Spock um, on the original USS? OK, so or? this is where it gets interesting. So for me, it's like the Beatles. Um, the rock and roll Beatles had their own thing. Twist and shout. She I love she loves you. I want to hold your hand. Uh, but I also like the Abbey Road Beatles. So so for me, Star Trek, the next generation with the Picard and all that was that was their sort of uh, mature uh, white album period. Yeah. Uh, and the original Star Trek has has almost a almost a hokey. Uh, it's like watching the monkeys. You know, it's like uh, it's 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 fun, but it's you watch it mostly for the interesting ideas fleshed out in these bizarrely orange and uh, gold uh, tight t-shirts that Shatner would wear and Spock being so Spock. And, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to not like Star Trek, uh, the original, but the, the later ones were more uh, Martin Scorsese would like the later ones is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And uh, I think, that, <laughs> I, I think that what the allure of when people do like, and I, I like both, I personally would probably lean wars over Trek, but I think what it is about Star Trek is that that shit could possibly happen. Yeah. I, I like the idea that they're that they created a federation and that they were, you know, on a it's very interesting. If you want to like a whole critique of U.S. foreign policy, but the whole idea that there would be the the global police uh, interstellar policemen, uh, like <laughs> just the idea that they would be like uh, like the Royal Canadian Mounted Police <laughs> heading out into the unknown and and all that that entails, good and bad. Right. Right. You know, so. Right. Oh, uh, by the way, I guess this is three questions. Then, did you vote f during this last Canadian federal election? Seven hundred fucking million dollars, really? I like, did who not. Who needs clean drinking water, right? <laughs> I didn't vote only because I was told during the last election that if you've been away for longer than five years, I don't have a Canadian address right now. Oh, and then Stephen Page of Bare Naked Ladies told me on election on the last day that you could register for the election i mentioned online that I, I don't get to vote anymore because it's been five years and Stephen, who lives in uh syracuse new york now said oh no we can do it uh and he showed me the form he sent me to the form and i started entering the form <laughs> and then it said uh sorry the registration closed at midnight last night so i only found out <laughs> like two or three days before the election that i or maybe a week before the election that i couldn't register and that you can't vote unless you register. I mean, maybe I maybe I was wrong about that too. So I just missed that election. I do get to vote in California elections, though. So I voted, I voted no on the recall of Governor Gavin Newsom because I, I really didn't like who they were offering as alternatives. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, so yeah, I uh, I did not vote in the Canadian election. I I sort of keep an eye on it. Uh, I have my opinions. I I, I tend to be um, I tend to not hate Justin as much as a lot of people I know do. Uh, but I also really uh, my politics are not conservative at all. So I, I think I used to vote NDP when I lived in Canada, uh, although I hear that in, in the B.C. area, the uh, the B.C. NDP was not as popular because of uh, a history of 
how they were perceived. I don't know anything. Of, I, and this is the point where best for me to not uh, pretend I know everything about what's going on in Canadian politics right now. I think we're wading into waters where we're both like, ah, I'm not really sure Canadian politics. I have smart friends who I can call about this. You know, yes, so that- exactly. Same. Okay. Let's wrap it up with a, uh, a question. I, I, I love finding out and, and hopefully you have a story and if not, that's fine. Um, do you have a near death story where, you know, somewhere where you could have died, not where you're like floating over your body and shit, but like, holy crap, I could have, I could have died just now. Well, it's really, it's, it's scary. Do you want to hear a scary story? Yeah. Okay. Well, I went to South Africa with my wife in what year was that? 2017. And um, I, I heard you don't want to go out at night in Cape town. And I, I heard that there's a lot of carjacking. I mean, they have a real inequity of poverty there and a lot of people living in uh, encampments and they, they don't have a, you know, the, the, the ghost of apartheid is everywhere. So there's, there is unfortunately very violent crime at night. We were on our way to go somewhere else to, to go on a safari thing. So we weren't going to stay in long, but during the broad daylight, we're walking through a park and I'm carrying my Sony camera and some guy comes up to me with a box cutter and says, give me your camera. Like an exacto knife box. Yeah, cutter. yeah. 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 And, and I, my wife was like, well, who are you talking to? And I said, I'm not talking. He's swinging a knife at me. And I, my camera had a strap on it and I didn't know how to get, I was going to give it to him, but I didn't understand the question. So I was hesitant. So I stepped back and he saw that as me resisting him. I, I was like really trying to dodge him and yelling to my wife, you know, get some help. And I also told her to stand back because I didn't want him. If he cut me, I didn't want him to cut her too. So it was one of those things like, I'll take, I'll take this one. And uh, so she's swinging at me. And then for some reason I step back and he decides to trip me and then, and then swings at my leg and cuts my knee open. And at this point, some security guards came and uh, some, some park guards and they were running towards him. He grabs my wife's cell phone because she basically handed it to him to say, take something and go and uh, to get him to stop cutting me. And yeah. uh, and so wow. and a whole bunch of really good things happened right after that, which was uh, 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 a person who had just bought an ice cream cone and had three clean napkins handed them to me. And they had a bottle of water so I could rinse the area off and I held it down. And then they uh, we were lucky we had insurance and we had a nice ambulance ride and I had uh, six stitches. And, um, you know, and I had, uh, you know, uh, but it was, there was a moment where he was swinging it towards my face before he tripped me that I thought, you know, he, he's really, he's going to kill me. And when I saw myself bleeding on the ground and I thought, this is where it could have ended like that. I have to say not to over dramatize it, but I thought to myself, this might have been my wife going home and saying, yeah, my husband got stabbed to death in Cape town weird, huh? Like, and, and we both, you know, of course you do all that thing of like, it didn't happen. So we're grateful and we're lucky and let's just, maybe my life is good and, you know, I'm protected or something, but all of those things, it's the closest I've had to a moment of going, holy cow. I almost, and I don't even have any ill will towards South Africa for this. I, I actually, I blame the lingering ghost of apartheid for creating these desperate conditions, but but I'm not. That's not to say I I, I don't let the guy off the uh, the guy who stabbed me is a dick. Uh, okay, but like, <laughs> totally. uh, but uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that he felt desperate enough to stab me. But I also think you know, right? Uh, maybe run for office. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what dude, to tell you, that guy. You, you yeah. can get you can get one of those 
those styles of people in, in any city, in any part of the world. Yeah. And he was really high on something too. So it was like, I could see it. Like he had that. I once almost got mugged in Toronto once by a guy with like completely red eyes. And I'm pretty sure angel dust was involved. So I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, you know, it's out there. It, I yeah. live in the, I live in the United States and I was more scared in Cape town. So that was, that was interesting. And I did have some PTSD, uh, the next oh, two days, the next two days in Cape town. I like bet. we were, we were looking around everywhere and uh, my somebody's, wife, ha- somebody's walking towards you and it's like, something oh my sketchy. God. someone came up to us to ask us for directions, like in a very public area. And I did this thing where I fan out with my arms, like, you know, like what I said, hold on, stay back. Say, what do you want? What would you like? What would you like? Right. Do you know, is this the number six bus? Yes. It's. And I pointed to the sign. It says right there. It's the number six bus. In other words, like I'm being a dick, but I'm kind of going like, you know, it's the number six bus, right? Like you're like, right. is, is this a ploy? <laughs> but I, anyway, so, but you know, it took me a while, but then I feel safe on the streets of New York city. I feel safe in the streets of San Francisco. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been to, you know, LA, you know, nothing scary, but I got scared just thinking about the randomness of that. Anyway, there's your story. Uh, uh, I don't talk about it all the time because I don't want to sound like I'm the only person who ever got mugged, but, uh, and, and I didn't lose my camera. So that was kind of neat. That's good. Thanks again, Paul, for, uh, for jumping on this morning. Hey, really great. Really great to connect with you after all these years. Good to talk to you. Yeah. You're, uh, you're easy to find on social media at pull my ears. That's a P U L M Y ears on social so it's, media it's like it's like pull my ears with one l and right, all with one, one l, l. Yeah. One yeah, l yeah. yeah awesome paul we'll see you online and uh have a great day good to thanks talk. for having me todd have a okay. great day the toddcast podcast on toddhancock.ca hi my name is jenny owen youngs and i am Kristen russo and together we run buffering a rewatch adventure a family of podcasts moving through our favorite 90s genre television. If you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, well, great news for you. Our very first podcast adventure took us through all seven seasons of the series. We covered it spoiler-free, episode by episode. For those of you who want to start the show for the first time, you can find that podcast pretty easily. It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Inside that podcast, you'll also find an original song that pairs with each glorious episode of Buffy, and original character jingles for so many of our Buffy favorites. Buffering has been praised in places like Time, Esquire, Paste Magazine, and the New York Times, and we've chatted with dozens of cast members, writers, directors, and fans along the way. Come hang out and rewatch some of your favorite television with us and a wonderful community of listeners. Learn more at BufferingCast.com or find us on socials at BufferingCast.